We come again to the letter to the Galatians, and this, uh, this letter is Paul's response to legalism infiltrating the Galatian churches. So what is legalism? Legalism can be understood in, in one main way, which is legalism always relaxes the law. That's what it does. So do you hear even in the definition of legalism that it's actually antinomian? It's lawless. But what legalism does is it relaxes God's law so that you can feel better about keeping an outward standard. This is what the Pharisees did, isn't it? I mean, they obeyed outwardly, but the inside was corrupt. Another thing legalism does is it relaxes God's law by replacing it with a substandard, with some easy thing to do, right? So examples of this might be, I don't go to movies. Well, God's Word doesn't say don't go to movies. And there might be some movies you shouldn't go to. It requires wisdom, but it's not a matter of God's law and righteousness. I send my kids to private school, or I always eat health food. You know, those are matters of wisdom for sure, and yet this isn't God's law. And and actually, notice what's happening. Someone is picking a standard, a mark that they can meet. You can do all those things. You can keep God's law outwardly. You can obey some external standard, and then, though, the problem becomes feeling like you're righteous before God and men. You may know better in your head. We're not talking about our doctrine here. We're talking about a spirit. It's feeling acceptable to God for performance. And actually, the Galatians were, were the Judaizers, these false teachers that had infiltrated these churches, were doing both. They had both kinds of legalism. They thought they could keep the external aspect of God's law, and they felt righteous, But they also added to it laws that aren't laws in the New Covenant. So things like circumcision, that's easy to do, enough, right? Sabbath, keeping Sabbath outwardly, the Jewish seventh-day Sabbath, easy enough to do. The food laws of the Old Covenant, you see? And so these Jewish boundary markers, these cultural realities, these cultural things are like badges of honor. I'm righteous if I do this thing, you know? We might have some in our culture that identify you that we're righteous for doing or not doing, right? So these Judaizers were doing this, and this whole letter is a response to Jewish legalism. In chapters 1 and 2, Paul is speaking to them very personally. From his own experience, he's talking to them from his own conversion out of legalism and his own experience of legalism in other churches. And then in chapter 3, Paul argues with the Galatians more directly, which is where we are. So it's not anymore about his experience, but now it's about uh, these legal, uh, legalism directly. And in chapter, uh, verses 1 to 6, he argues with them from their experience. Did you begin by grace through faith or with law? Well, you know you began in Christ by grace through faith, and so what makes you think it's now on to the law? It's not. It stays grace through faith. And then in verses 7 to 11, he begins making very strong biblical arguments, and he tells the Galatians that Abraham himself, remember these Judaizers, who who would they have claimed as their father? Abraham. 
we're of Abraham, of the circumcision. But Paul reminds them Abraham was a pagan, and he was saved by grace through faith alone. And God made all the promises to him by faith, not because of his circumcision, you see? And then here in verses 10 to 12, which we are going to read in a moment and is our text today, Paul makes another biblical argument, which is about law and gospel. Basically, you Judaizers are conflating the law and the gospel. That's his point. So let's read Galatians 3, verses 10 to 12. Paul says to the Galatian churches, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Do you hear the hard contrast? Law and faith. It's back in Romans as well. What kind of a law? Law of works or law of faith? Here we have law versus faith. The law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we pray you'd help us to see what you have written here for us to understand, that we would apprehend this by faith and that we would grow in faith and knowledge of the one true God through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we have three things. First, law. Second, gospel. And third, the contrast between the law and the gospel. That's our text. So first, consider the law. If you look at verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. That's a statement from Paul. It's a theological statement. And then he, he proves it by citing Scripture. You see? He says, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written of the law in the book of the law and do them. So here he's citing the Old Testament to prove his point theologically. And the Old Testament passage that he cites is Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. And you can turn there if you'd like, or you can just listen. But here's what it says. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say amen. That is the last thing they said that Moses said on on Mount Ebal, which was a mount of curses. Remember all the curses that were pronounced for not keeping the Old Covenant. And if you don't obey it completely, you are under the temporal curse of the Old Covenant. That's what this was saying. It's requiring perfect obedience. Listen to Deuteronomy 58, or 28, verse 58, makes a similar point. And verse 63, if you, people of Israel, are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, then verse 63, you shall be plucked off the land that you're entering to take possession of it. So we have to understand this first. We have to understand it's talking about at a temporal, physical level in the Old Covenant. So the Old Covenant people of God had to civilly obey the the law, perfectly, actually. And if they didn't, then, then the curse was warranted to be cut off from the land. And they, this was a symbol 
of something greater. The greater reality is if you're going to inherit eternal life, you have to obey God's law perfectly. And if you sin just one time against God's perfect law, you're condemned forever. And where do we see that? In the Garden of Eden. How many times did Adam have to sin to be removed from the garden? Once. One sin against the perfectly holy God warrants condemnation. One commentator summarizes Paul's argument like this, those who don't do everything required by the law are cursed. No one does everything required by the law, which is an implication of Paul's argument. Therefore, those who are of works of the law are cursed. So you really want to be a legalist? You have to do it perfectly. There's no room for flexibility here. If you think you're acceptable before God by your works, you better be perfect, which is impossible. And therefore, legalism condemns you. You know, if you walk up, I've done this before. I haven't done it recently, but I don't know if you've ever seen this. You can walk up to someone on the street, you know, and and say, are you a good person? Hey, mind if we have a conversation? I'd like to talk to you. Have a moment. Are you a good person? What do you think most people will say? They'll say yes. (laughs) They will. It's, It's almost universal. They'll say, yes, I'm a good person. And if you ask them how they know or why they think, well, they'll say things like, well, I pay my taxes. I've never murdered anyone, never robbed a bank. I help other people in the community. I recycle. Right? I'm a good person. And they think of sinners. Most people in this world think of a sinner as someone who's in prison or who should be in prison. But the Bible is saying if you don't keep the whole law of God spiritually all the way down in your mind, in your heart, with all your behavior, you are cursed eternally. Just one lie will send you to hell. If you murder someone in your heart once in your life, you deserve hell. If you lust, you're condemned forever. If you covet, which means if you want anything in this world more than God, a little, you're damned. The wages of sin is death. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. The law of God is one. Why? Well, there are degrees of sin. We know that actual murder is worse than murder in the heart, temporally speaking, and in society. But even the slightest sin against an infinitely holy God, what does this deserve? Infinite judgment. So do you see what these truths should do? This is the point. This is what Paul is, is, his main point here to the Galatian Judaizers is you should completely and I should completely stop trying to be righteous before God by our obedience. On our best day, we still haven't obeyed God's law perfectly. And we can be honest with each other and with God about that. This, this, is, this doctrine leads to confession of sin. That's the main application of this first point, is the law. Leads to, we can tell God, I'm a sinner. May I ask you, have you done that, Lord? I have such a sinful heart. I've coveted. I murdered this person in my heart. Or even breaking the first commandment, God, I don't love you. What if you're angry with him, which is a terrible sin? What should you do? Confess it and say, God, I'm angry with you. And I shouldn't be, but I am. So this first point leads to the confession of sin. 
You know, some people might not confess sin, but they condemn themselves for the bad things they do. And they feel righteous when they do good things. So you might be having a good day and you feel good about yourself that God thinks well of you. Or you might really mess up or feel like someone feels like you messed up. It might even be that. And then you just condemn yourself. They think of God accepting them when they do good or rejecting them when they do bad. Others take a different approach. They might defend themselves when they sin. The same person can do both, by the way. Condemn themselves, condemn others at the same time. They justify their sins, or they might even change the subject and accuse people when their sins are pointed out. But this passage is telling us this. Here's the point. You and I can cease striving to achieve our righteousness. Why? Because we're not. We don't have to pretend that we are. We can confess our sins. We'll never be able to perfectly keep the law of God. That's the curse of the law. You're under the curse by nature, and so am I. Here's the second point. This is the gospel. In verse 11, Paul says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So do you see what he's doing? He's actually doing, this is a little sub-point, he's doing systematic theology. He's making a doctrinal point and citing Scripture. He's actually proof-texting. That's what Paul's doing in the book of Galatians. So he's not excising the text from its context, but he is proving it. And he's going to do it again in the next verse. So this is just two times. But he's, he makes a point. What's his point? Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. How do you know? Well, the Bible says you're justified by faith. And he quotes Habakkuk 2.4. Do you know what Habakkuk is about? Very briefly. It's a... It's a it's a very perplexing book because you have a prophet questioning God, challenging him, saying, the people of Israel are wicked, yes, they've done wrong, and you, God, are sending the Babylonians to destroy Israel, to destroy Judah. But these Babylonians are wicked too. You know what God says? He says, I'm going to judge them too. And then God says, if you want to be righteous before me, you have to trust me. Because here's the question. If God is promising judgment and condemnation to you and your enemies and all things, how can you be saved from judgment? What could Habakkuk do? Here comes this wicked Babylonian army. What can he do to save himself? Can he keep the law better? Can he start striving harder and try to perform? How can he rescue himself from God's judgment? The answer is you can't. You can trust Him, though. You can trust Him for your righteousness. That's the message of the book of Habakkuk. Righteousness and life, and those two are connected. If you're righteous, then you're given eternal life. Righteousness and life come by faith alone. The words of Habakkuk had a huge impact on the life of Martin Luther, the great reformer in the 1500s, Luther was first struck by Habakkuk 2.4 when he was in a monastery in Erfurt, even though at first he wasn't sure what they meant. So he thought, this is interesting. The righteous shall live by faith. He was thinking he could make himself righteous by his works, but then he always felt guilty, Martin Luther did. Then he went through a very dark time of depression and physical illness. Uh, history tells us he could bar- barely even move, much less study or write 
and he actually believed, he believed God had forsaken him and that he was under God's wrath. And one night, we're told that he was lying in a bed in Italy and he believed he was about to die. And he found himself repeating the words over and over again, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Well, Luther recovered from his illness and his depression, and he went to Rome where he visited the church of St. John Lateran. And so you can understand what this was. The Pope had promised an indulgence, which means merit, to any pilgrim who went to that church and did sacred penance. It was a promise of merit to shorten time in purgatory. And what the pilgrim had to do was climb up the stairs of this church on his knees. Of course, it cuts them up. It bruises them. It's very, it's very painful. And they thought these stairs had come from the judgment hall of Pontius Pilate and that they had been stained with the blood of Christ. And so the pilgrim had to climb up on his knees. And history tells us that Luther repeated his prayers while he was climbing up the Lateran staircase and the words of the prophet Habakkuk came to mind. As he was praying his prayers of penance and he thought, the righteous shall live by faith. And he couldn't get those words out of his mind and so he stopped praying and he got up and he went back to Wittenberg and from that point forward, this verse, the righteous shall live by faith, became the basis of all his doctrine. He no longer believed there was anything he could do at all to be righteous before God. And so he had to simply trust the Son of God. Here's what he said, quote, Before those words broke upon my mind, I hated God and was angry with him. He said, what a blasphemer. And Luther would say, amen. That's what I was. But when by the Spirit of God I understood those words, the just shall live by faith, then I felt born again like a new man, I entered through the open doors into the very paradise of God. I wonder if you believe those words of the Bible. You say, I'm not righteous. I fall far short. I'm a wicked person. Yes, you are. You're worse than you think, and I'm worse than I think. Much worse. But the righteous shall live by faith, which is a simple looking unto Jesus. So that's the law. But now consider the gospel. Verse 12, I'm sorry, now consider, that's the law and the gospel. Consider the contrast. Verse 12 says, the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. You hear the contrast? You you cannot have justification by law and by faith. That's the point. It's one or the other. You can either be righteous and have the right to life by faith, or you can obey the law perfect, perfectly yourself. Those are your options. Because God doesn't relax the law. We do. We relax the law in our legalism. God never does. It is absolutely strict and perfect. And Leviticus 18.5 is what he quotes. The one who does them shall live by them. That's the strictness of the law. This is requiring perfect obedience to God. There's a law-gospel contrast. And so may I ask you this question? Are you seeking your righteousness by your goodness? To approve of yourself? We all do sometimes. 
In fact, that itself is a sin for which we need Christ's righteousness imputed to us. But may I ask you this, would you cast yourself upon Christ? If you're not a believer this morning, would you? You don't trust him, you're living your life, maybe you're doing well, you're used to succeeding. Maybe you feel like all things are are going great, but look, is it perfect? Are you perfect before the Lord? You're not. Will you look to Jesus? Or maybe you're discouraged and, and you think maybe you should be doing better. Maybe, maybe you should make your life into something more than it is and achieve life by your works in this world. And you can do it, but you haven't yet. Well, it's for you too. Will you cease striving and trust in Jesus who is your righteousness? This comes as an offer. It's the free offer of the gospel. He will receive you and he will call you righteous and give you life eternal with himself if you just look to him in faith. Are you a believer? If you're a believer, actually this book was written to believers, Galatians, who had been influenced by legalistic teaching. If you're a believer, you know, the the worst legalistic teacher is our own heart. Did you know that? It's, It's not actually the legalists out there. It is, but it's us because there's all kinds of perverted ways to be legalistic, not just religiously legal, but we can turn it into, well, I'm free from everything, and that's my righteousness, you know? I'm so free. I'm freer in grace than you are. Ha-ha, you know? So we can, that's our problem, is our hearts, our pharisaical hearts is our problem that remains in us from the old Adamic nature. And so if you're a believer this morning, may I appeal to you, Will you cease striving and cast yourself upon Jesus who is your whole and soul righteousness and see his love for you, his free grace and acceptance of you. And if you see him for who he is and you trust him, he'll win your heart to him more and more and you will become more loving. You will grow in godliness and holiness. Sin will be weakened Love will come and be put on through faith, faith alone in Jesus. Let's close with prayer. Lord, we thank you for this very precious and sweet promise of righteousness that is in Jesus to all who believe. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. We feel our weakness and our need. We know our doubts, and we confess them all to you. Lord, we confess our murderous hearts, our lusts, our self-deception. Lord, we confess our pride and our need. And we thank you for Jesus, his blood that flows down from the cross to wash us and purge us of all guilt, to give us life in himself, and who won't disappoint us, but will keep every promise that he's ever made. Help us to trust him and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. In his name, amen.